I have in my pocket, uh, and I wanted to take these to St. Croix with me, but I, I was afraid to, and I'll, I'll explain why in a minute. But when I was just a little boy, my, my great-grandmother gave me several uh, silver dollars. They're Morgan silver dollars. And uh, I, I really, you know, to, at, at the time, I was just little. And the dates on these are 1921. And I was like, Wow, 1921. That's like uh, when Jesus was living or something. It, it would seem so long ago. And as I've gotten older, I realize it wasn't as old as I thought. But um, here's here's the thing. If if I passed one of these out around and, and just let you all look at them, you'd, you'd turn them back and you might make comments about them. And, but probably none of you would say, hey, that's a counterfeit. And actually, one of them is. Um, I have the two coins. This is the one that my great-grandmother gave me, and this is the counterfeit. I actually sent off to China to, to buy this coin because I knew that they were bad at counterfeiting these Morgan silver dollars. And I was in hopes that I would get a fake, and, and I did. Uh, it's a counterfeit because I wanted to use it as an illustration. If you look at this and casually look at this, you'll see that you would never know. You would never know it was a counterfeit. They look exactly alike. Um, well, almost. Uh, you would think, though, at just casual glance, that they were both equal in value, but they aren't. This is just a slug. It is not real. And if I hold it up, you can actually, if you can compare it to the real thing, I can see that there's... There's just a little bit of difference in the width of these coins. And, and um, you know, if I look closely side by side, I'll see that the etching, the, the face of the lady and the eagle on the back, it's a little bit nicer on this than it is on this. Um, but without the comparison, I, w- I would never know it. Now, the reason I didn't take it to St. Croix... I don't know what you get for counterfeiting, you know, what time they give you for counterfeiting down there. They say, what is that? You know, and I I didn't want to take the risk. But here's the point. One's real, the other's counterfeit. One's worth something, the other is worth nothing. Just because something looks like something of value doesn't mean that it is of value. And I am convinced that here's how the devil has chosen to operate. He can, he can keep people out of heaven in a number of ways. He can, he can offer immorality. He can say, just go out and live it up. And that'll grab some people. Some people will be caught up in immoral living and they'll miss heaven because of it. He can offer materialism to some people and, and just the accumulation of stuff and, and be so tied to stuff that you can't let go of it. And you love that and pursue that even more than you do your God in heaven. Some people will miss out on heaven because of materialism. And there are a number of ways that the devil can pull at us and tug at us and get us distracted from heaven. But not everybody's going to fall for those things. Not everyone wants to live an immoral life. Not everyone is caught up in things. Some people want to serve God. And so I think what the devil has done to get those people is that he has filled the world with counterfeits, with lookalikes. 
Um, and, and it makes it difficult to find the church that Jesus built because there are so many from which to choose. And, and not all churches are equal, and, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But if I were to take this coin here and, and just kind of pitch it over there and let it drop among and the people, and I said, all right, I'll give you 10 minutes to find that coin. Probably everybody could do it. If, if you saw me just kind of toss it over there, it wouldn't take you long. It might roll a little ways, but you'd find it in 10 minutes. What if I pitched this coin over there and then called in a dump truck with a bedload of similar coins, not exact, similar, and had him unload them all over there too? Now, try to find my coin. You might not get it done in the time allotted you. I think, in my estimation, I think that's how the devil operates. The Lord built his church. Jesus said he would and he did. And that church is there as a body of saved believers. It's a group of people that Jesus will, will present to his heavenly father and, and as a bride to uh, her husband and will live with God in heaven because the church has been redeemed. And so the devil has filled the world with lookalikes, with counterfeits. And people may be, oh, This is it. Yeah, this is what I was looking for, and it might not be. And people go to their grave thinking they found the Lord's church when all they have found was a cheap imitation. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Can we just be Christians? Not a part of some man-made thing, not a part of some brand of Christianity. You know, you have this kind of a Christian or that kind of a Christian, this kind of a church and that kind of a church. Can I just be a member of the Lord's church, the church of Jesus Christ, the the church that God uh, had uh, built? Can I just be a Christian and a Christian only? No brands, no sects. No denominations, just a Christian. I think I can, but it'll take a little bit of work. A number of years ago, I went home and, and, well, when I go into, to, uh, well, it's still the same in many communities. You go into a town and there'll be a placard on the side of the road and it'll have Kiwanis Club and, and the Rotary Club and the Lions Club and all those civic organizations in the church. And usually there's a church sign on that placard and it'll say something to the effect, attend the church of your choice. And uh, it offers all the churches in town. Attend the church of your choice. A few years ago, I went home and I was reading the local newspaper and the last article in this religious article that one of the religious leaders in that community had written. I don't remember anything about the article, but I do remember the very last sentence. And that sentence said, attend the church of your choice and feel good about it. My question is, is that a good idea? Really? You know, the people that say that, I really don't. The, the man who wrote that article, I don't really believe he believes what he himself said. A few years ago, I was asked to speak at, at Fried Hardeman on the topic of satanic ritualism. And so in studying for that lesson, I had to, to get my hands on materials. And, and I needed to get a copy of the Satanic Bible. Uh, they have a Bible just like you have a Bible. 
Um, and and uh, I, there's a companion book that goes with the Satanic Bible called the Satanic Rituals. And in that book, it has all the spells and all that kind of thing in it. And uh, there's a church of Satan. It has a high priest and it has a Bible and it has a rule book. And, and uh, they, they have their commandments like the Ten Commandments. And they have a, uh, a number of things that just kind of run counter to things that you read in the Bible they have a mass instead of the Lord's Supper, a black mass, and a number of things. But let me ask you that. Let's get back to that statement. Attend the church of your choice. Really? What about the church of Satan? Can I attend that? Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not. No, of course not. I'm not talking about that kind of a church. Not, no, you couldn't do that. Uh, okay, well, let's back off from that. What, what about a church that doesn't believe that Jesus is deity? What about a church that believes that Jesus was just a created being and that he's not God come in the flesh, John 1, 1 and, and verse 14? Well, I'm not talking about that kind of church either. We, we've got to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, absolutely. Uh, not that kind of church either. Well, what about a church that believes that, you know, you have your Bible, but they come knocking on your door trying to get you to, to accept another testament of Jesus Christ. Above and beyond the Bible that you're carrying, they, they, they claim that Jesus gave another revelation. If we want to be faithful to him, we have to follow that revelation. What about that church? Well, I'm not talking about that kind of church either. I'm talking about, well, do you see what I'm saying? When can we stop with this? When somebody says, attend the church of your choice... That's really not good advice. In fact, it's not even advice that they believe. If pressed, they'll back away from that statement. What about this? Instead of saying, attend the church of your choice, what if we went and said, attend the church of God's choice? Wouldn't that be a better uh, thing to do? Let's be sure to attend the church of God's choice. And that's what I want to ask you to do. And, and I, want to, I want us to look at something. There's one question that I want to share with you this morning that I want us to answer. And listen, when I'm giving this sermon, I'm talking to us. I'm not talking about the folks down the street. I'm talking to us. We need to answer these questions. And here's the question that I want to ask. Is the church that you're a member of, is it the church that God had in mind when he said, when Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. If it's not, then you're in the wrong one. You're not in the church of God's choice. Is the church of which you're a member of, the church that you can read about in the Bible, the one that Jesus intended to build and, and did build? And if it's not, then we need to make some changes. I want you to ask another question. Is the state of religion today, is it what God had in mind when he built a church? What I mean by that is, do, do you think that God had in mind, you come to the community of Carnes, or you come to the, to, to the city of Knoxville, and you say, hey, could you point me to the church? Well, which kind do you want? Do you want the kind over here or this kind or that kind or that kind? Do you want the kind that does this or do you want the kind that does that? You see, there's all kinds. Is, 
you, you come, you, you can't get just an answer because they're going to have to ask you, what kind do you want? What brand do you want? Now, here's my question. Is that what God intended for the church? Is the present state of religion what God had in mind? Rather than us just, you know, musing over that question, let's go to the Bible and let the Bible answer that question for us. So if you have your Bible, open it with me and let's start in John chapter 17. In John chapter 17, we have uh, the Lord's Prayer. And I, I know you've heard this before, but uh, oftentimes the Lord's Prayer, we, we immediately think, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And you can call it that if you want. But really, that's a prayer that Jesus told and taught the disciples how to prayer, but pray. But this is the Lord's Prayer, the one that he really prayed, actually prayed, not just teaching others how to pray. This is one that he prayed. And in John chapter 17, he begins by praying for himself. He had a mission to accomplish, and, and he prays for strength and, uh, to his heavenly Father. Then he prays for his hand-selected apostles that God gave him, and he prayed for them for a while. And then, look at this, you get down a little bit further, and you get down to verse 20. And Jesus said, I don't pray for these alone, those apostles, those hand-selected men. I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Jesus prayed for those who would believe the word of the apostles. You know what? That's you. That's me. Do you realize that Jesus prayed? When Jesus was on earth, he prayed for you. Isn't that amazing? To think that Jesus prayed for me is overwhelming. He didn't just pray for the apostles, but he prayed for those who would hear the apostles and come to faith in Jesus. Well, what was it? that If you tell me Jesus said a prayer for me, I want to know, what did Jesus pray? What did he say about me? Well, let's read what he said. Here's what I pray. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world might believe that you sent me. Jesus said, I'm praying for you, that you be one, united. Why? So that the world will believe. One of the biggest mockeries of Christianity today, or what people perceive to be Christianity today, is the division. you got to Group meeting here and a group meeting here and a group meeting here. And it's not because of size limitations. We can't put any more people in this building. It's because we don't believe what you believe and they don't believe what they believe. And, and we're all divided up because none of us see anything alike. And, and I've talked to people and no doubt you have who say, I, I don't buy into this Christianity thing because you all can't even get it straight. You all don't even agree with each other. Jesus prayed that his followers, us, that we would be one, united. Okay, that was his will. Let's fast forward a little bit. Let's move on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and let's read what the Apostle Paul had to say. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said, Now, listen, I plead with you, brethren, verse 10, By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, or by his authority, 
He's saying, I'm begging you by the authority of Jesus that you what? That you speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. Paul said, by inspiration, by the authority of Jesus, I'm begging you to speak the same thing, to be joined together, that there be no divisions among you. That was the will of Jesus. And does it surprise you that Paul would agree with Jesus? Jesus said, I pray that my followers will be one. Paul said, there should be no division among you. You ought to be speaking the same thing. I'm begging you to do that. Flip on over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and look at verse 25. There should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. There shouldn't be a division in the body. Uh, again, oneness, no division. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. As you read verses 1 through 6, let's just kind of pick up in verse 3. We're to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, even as you're called, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. Here's, here's what Paul said. There's one body. The body is, of course, the church. You can go back to chapter 1 and see that, the very end of that chapter. I would have no more right to claim to believe in two lords, two gods, two spirits, as I would to claim to believe in two churches. Jesus said there's one, or Paul said by inspiration, that there's one body just like there's one God and one Lord and one Spirit. So let, let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus prayed for unity. The Bible says, Paul said, speak the same thing. There should be no divisions among you. The Bible says there should be no schism in the body of Christ. And the Bible says there is one body of believers. Now, back to that question. Is the present state of religion what God had in mind in the beginning? The answer to that is no. It's not. Because, you know how I know? Because there's division. And because we don't speak the same thing. And there are many bodies instead of one body. We, the present state of religion is exactly the opposite of what God had in mind and what he intended and what he prayed for and what he pled for. So here's the next question. Can we fix it? I mean, are we destined to just not be what God wants, you know, the world to be, the religious world to be? Or can we take steps to, to make this work and to, to get it better? And I say we can but not without work and not without a, a love for the word of god you see we're going to have to we're going to have to give up traditions that maybe have been long held and and very much cherished uh, 
Well, this is the way I was taught. This is what I grew up hearing. This is that we did that my great grandmother, I remember when those can't come into play. What we need to ask ourselves is does the Bible say? Does the Bible teach? Does the Bible authorize? And and if it doesn't, we have to have the courage to let those things go. You see, if we don't, we'll, we'll never have unity. If I like something that is extra biblical and I want to do it in, in my church because I like it. And if you're trying to follow the Bible, you're not going to want to unite with me because I have this thing that I do that you can't read about in the Bible. If we're ever to be united, I'm going to have to give up that thing that you can't read about in the Bible. And then we can be united. So it takes courage on the part of everybody to say, I'm only going to do what the Bible authorizes. And if I find myself not doing things that the Bible says to do, well, then I'm going to have to start doing some more things. I've got to get up to par here. But again, all of that takes courage. It takes conviction. It'll be unpleasant. It'll be difficult. You'll have mom and dad maybe on your back. You'll have your children upset with you. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, you know, your own family might become your enemy if you become my disciple. It's not easy, but but it can be done. Uh, imagine uh, us living in the 21st century, and, and I've, I've said this before, but imagine H.G. Wells' time machine. You know, I, I love those science fiction movies and stuff. And, and H.G. Wells, there was this time machine that this man had built, and, and he sat down in it. It was like a little go-kart-looking thing with a wheel that spun on the back of it. And he pushed this level, lever forward, and he would go back or forward in time. And imagine if we had one of those. And because we live in this present state of division, we wanted to go back and talk to Peter. And so we push it back to 33 A.D. or so, and, and sure enough, we land right on the day of Pentecost. And we run into Peter walking down the road looking tired. His fingers are still puckered from baptizing 3,000 people that day. He's been in the water all day. And we say, Peter, you, you are just the man I was looking for. Could you answer a question for me? I come from the future. And one of the burning questions that we have is, what denomination are you? What do you think Peter would say to that? What do you, what do you mean, what denomination am I? What, what, what kind of Christian are you? Are you a this kind of Christian or that kind of Christian? Do you go to this kind of church or that kind of church? You know what Peter would say? I, I don't get what you're talking about. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. I'm a member of his church. But I don't understand what you're talking about with, and so we're not, we're not satisfied with him, so we just bump it forward a little bit, and we, we land in Corinth, and there's Paul. And we run up to Paul and say, Paul, the apostle Paul, wow, what an honor it is to get to talk. I've read everything you've ever written. I, I've got to ask you something. Would you tell me, there's a burning question from the time from which I am, and, and I've got to have your answer. What denomination are you, Paul? I, what would Paul say, do you think? He might start by saying, you said you read all my writings? Are you serious? 
I, I wrote things like, uh, there should be no division, no schism in the body. I, I wrote things like, there should be no division. We should all speak the same thing, be the same mind and same judgment. I wrote, there's one body, and you're talking to me about what denomination am I? You see, that's the kind of answer I think we'd get from them. They didn't have those things, and they, well, there was sectarianism, but it was condemned. That's why these statements were made. We, we need to be one and not divided. If we could uh, use the illustration you know, of baseball, everybody knows how at some level to play baseball. Imagine, if you would, if the game of baseball became outlawed, which is, you know, I don't know why it would be, but, you know, just for the sake of imagination, it becomes, it's an underground game. If you get caught playing baseball, there's a pretty stiff penalty. And so it's played, but it's played underground. And, and for a thousand, two thousand years, um, it's been played and, but, but 2,000 years later, somebody in this ruins dusts off his old book on a shelf and he read the official rules to baseball. He opens it up, starts reading and said, oh, wait, you know what it says right here? Hey, guys, it says it says there's three strikes and four balls. We, we've been doing four balls and or four strikes and three balls. Um, we, we've had that reversed. So let's change that, okay? And you know what else it says? It says nine guys are to take the field. We've been putting ten out there because the outfield's so big. We've been putting four guys out in the outfield. Um, It says only nine, though. So let's change that, and we we put nine now. What would happen if after 2,000 years of innovations and changes due to ignorance... And maybe even prejudice and convenience, those changes have been made to the game, but 2,000 years later, they find the rule book and they start doing it the way the rule book, rule book says to do it. What are they playing? Baseball. In its purity. Well, if you can understand that, then maybe you can understand this. There was a time when being a Christian was unlawful and paid a high price if you were caught practicing Christianity. And for many years, it went underground. And and in the passage of 2,000 years, there have been a lot of addendums and changes made to Christianity. But what if, in the 21st century, we dust off this book called the Bible... And we open it up and say, hey, guys, look at this. You know what? The Bible says this. And we've been doing that. Well, let's start doing this because that's what the book says. What if we examined what we practiced in light of the rule book that we've been given? What would we be at the end of the day? We would be the church. We would be Christians. We wouldn't be a brand. We wouldn't be a denomination. We wouldn't be a sect. We would be the body of Christ. We can do that today. Uh, being in St. Croix was interesting because I always use this island approach, uh, and we were actually on an island in St. Croix, but, um, w- what if, 
and a, a chest washed up on shore in some island, remote. They don't know anything about Jesus, the Bible. And they, they open that chest and, and there's a Bible in there. And they begin reading it and they read about how God created the heavens and the earth and how man sinned and how the God would, would find a way to redeem man through his son. And, and they follow that scheme of redemption all the way through. They read about Jesus and his death on the cross and they believe it. They have faith in it and, and they trust that Jesus is their savior and they respond by placing their faith in him, repenting of their sins, being baptized into Christ. And as they arise to walk in newness of life, they begin meeting together as fellow believers and, and they take the Lord's Supper and they do all the things the Bible says to do. Question. If they did all that, what denomination would they be? None. They'd be Christians. They'd be the church that Jesus built, followers of Christ. But they wouldn't be any brand. And here's all I'm saying. If we can be Christians only on a deserted island, then why can't we be Christians only right here? Well, we can. And in fact, that's what we're pleading for. Listen, when someone says things, it just, it runs counter. When someone says things like, um, oh, I'm a Church of Christer. Or I'm Church of Christ. Or I'm a Church of Christ preacher. I just, I cringe at those expressions. Because that is precisely what I'm talking about, not doing. I don't want to be a Church of Christ preacher. I want to be a gospel preacher. I don't want to be a Church of Christ church, as if that's just a brand of uh, other brands that you could do. I just want to be the Church of Christ. I don't want to be a Church of Christer. I want to be a Christian. And when we, when we designate those things in that way, what we're saying is we're, we're just that kind of a Christian. And that undoes everything that Jesus said. That's part of the problem that we have. We've sectarianized ourselves. We, we've made uh, ourselves just a part instead of making ourselves and viewing ourselves as a whole. This body of people here today are pleading for undenominational, non-denominational, pre-denominational Christianity. We don't desire to be a Church of Christ church. We desire to be the Church of Christ. That's what our plea is. And in following that plea, we answer the prayer of Jesus that my followers will be one. If others don't choose to follow, they'll answer for their division. But as long as I follow simply Jesus, I'm doing what he wants. If all we have to offer is just another brand, then, you know, last one out, turn out the lights, lock up, and let's never come back. Because there's already enough brands out there. But if we're pleading for uniqueness, 
if we're saying all we're doing is just simply being the church and we're going to put into practice what this rule book tells us, what this Bible tells us to do, and we're going to let off the things or get rid of the things that it, that we can't read about, we're just going to be followers of Jesus. Then if that appeals to you, that's what we're trying to accomplish here. I don't want to be a brand, you know, post post Raisin Bran and Kellogg's Raisin Bran. Which one do you want? Which one do you like? I I don't want to just be a brand, like pick post or Kellogg's. I'm calling for us to get rid of the brands and be Christians only. Members of not the sect, the denomination Church of Christ, but the designation Church of Christ. It's a church that belongs to Christ. Not as a title or as a proper name, but as a designation. And if that's your appeal, and if that sounds... Man, it's liberating. I don't have to listen to what other men say. I don't have to do what they have tacked on to the Bible. I just get to be a Christian and follow Jesus. And just do what the Bible says. That's liberating. And if you want to do that as well, then... Become a part of the body of Christ. If we do today what they did then, we'll be what they were. If we believe what they believe and do what they do, we'll we'll be who they were as well. In the first century, when people were presented with the gospel of Christ, they believed and were told to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. That's the same thing we're asking you to do. Nothing more, nothing less. Do you believe in Jesus? If you do, are you willing to repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins? If so, then do that this morning. And God will add you to his church, a non-denominational, undenominational, pre-denominational body of believers who are simply following Jesus. If you need to do that this morning, we'll assist you in that. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful and you want to come back and be faithful and, and just have the prayers of your brethren, we'll pray for you if, we'll come, if you'll come as we stand together. And-